0: Hi, you're listening to Sermons, Bible Studies, and Training. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a moment, we're going to be sharing today's message, but before we do, let me invite you to do two quick things. First of all, stop by my website, DesireJesus.com, to grab a free copy of my book, The Mind of Christ. I think you'll really enjoy it. Again, you can find it at DesireJesus.com. And my second request is this. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, would you be willing to give this show a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? Basically, they do a good job promoting the shows that get reviews, but if your show doesn't get reviews, it gets buried in their system. So your help is greatly appreciated. If you're using the Apple Podcasts app, you can review it right from the app and again your help is certainly appreciated as we seek to share the good news of jesus christ with as many people as possible now let's take a listen to today's message so several weeks ago not not just several weeks ago multiple weeks ago we started with looking at the book of proverbs and we've been going through the book of proverbs for a group of weeks and we've been taking it a section at a time now if you go through the book of proverbs you realize that it's a a a very full book. It's a book that's got a lot of content. And obviously throughout the course of our Sunday morning time together as we're studying it, we're probably not going to hit every last aspect of what's contained in the book of Proverbs, but we're gonna hit the highlights and we're gonna hit the main things. And what we've been talking about as we've been going through the book of Proverbs is we've been talking about what it means to walk in wisdom, how to grow in godliness, how to avoid costly mistakes, how to get ahead in life in accordance with what scripture actually teaches. And today we're in Proverbs chapter 10. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go through Proverbs 10 a section at a time after I pray for us. But let's just pray and ask the Lord to give us His wisdom and His uh, discernment as we talk today about whether or not we're willing to trust the Lord when we're feeling uneasy. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together today and to worship you, Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together. We pray that you'd help us to grow in our walk with you. We pray that you'd help us to understand your scriptures. And we pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would understand what you've been communicating to us in your word. We commit this time to your care, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at these things together now. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the other day, and I'll have you guys work the slides for me too, because they, they don't seem to be operating either. Um, but the other day, I had two similar things happen to me at the same exact time. Uh, first, I, was, I happened to be talking to a friend. And as I was talking to that friend... Uh, he expressed to me that he was having a very bad morning. And he had a variety of things going on that I think were probably contributing, but he said he wasn't able to fully put his finger on it. I, I said, well, what's going on? And he said, all right, well, his family wasn't home. Uh, his schedule was being unexpectedly interrupted, and he was feeling Emotionally off. Actually, there was a group of us that were chatting, and that's what he said. You know, he was feeling emotionally off, and he said he couldn't fully put his finger on it, but what he decided to do was this. He said, I'm just going to work through this today. I'm going to get my work done, regardless of how I feel. Regardless of how I feel in the moment, I'm just going to get my work done. And at the same time I was having that conversation with him and several other people as we were all chatting together. Uh, I received a text message, and I looked at my phone to see what the text was about, and it was from a family friend who lives very close to where I grew up. And she had received news earlier that day that alarmed her, and she wanted an outside perspective on what she was now experiencing in her life. And so she messaged me, and we chatted for a few minutes, and we chatted through her concern and tried our best to get to the heart of the matter of what was making her feel uneasy. And I bring up these examples because I think we all experience seasons of life where we feel uneasy. So maybe you're dealing right now with unexpected change in your life. Or maybe you feel like you're being taken advantage of by somebody that you felt like you could trust, but then all of a sudden you discover you couldn't trust. Or maybe you can't even put a finger on why you feel how you feel. Well, I think these are, ex- these are experiences that are common to us all. I think these are the type of things that we experience in this world. There are things that make us feel uneasy and make us feel uncertain. And the question is, what should we do when we have those moments, when we have those seasons? Well, one of the things that you're going to notice as a highlight and as a pattern throughout Scripture is the Lord's invitation to trust Him in the midst of every circumstance. He invites you and me to trust him no matter what we're going through, whatever season of life we're at, whatever experience we're having. He invites us to trust him no matter what. And that's a a pattern that you're going to see in the scripture we're looking at today as well. In Proverbs chapter 10, it shows us that we could trust the Lord in the midst of every circumstance. And this particular chapter in it, the Lord demonstrates that he oversees our lives, that he's working his will through us, and that he's bringing an end to the efforts of wickedness that threaten us. So join with me, if you would, as we look through uh, Proverbs chapter 10. And as we do so, we're going to see that we can trust the Lord when we're feeling uneasy. And he demonstrates a variety of reasons why. And one of the first things that he shows us in the first few verses is this, the fact that he won't let the righteous go hungry. Now, even before we read this, I have to say that this is a concept that ministers to me greatly because I don't like being hungry. And uh, anytime the Lord brings up food in Scripture, He has my attention automatically. But when you look at Proverbs chapter uh, 10, starting with verse 1, the Lord demonstrates this fact in very specific ways. And it says this, it says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Now, let me pause there for just a second and say this. Uh, And you'll see as we look through the statements that are included in this uh, particular chapter and in the chapters that are coming, that there's a pattern that's at play here. When you go from chapter 10 all the way up to chapter 22 of the book of Proverbs, many of the Proverbs that we'll read, they provide a contrast. And the contrast is this. We see a contrast between the actions of the righteous and the wicked or the foolish and and the wise. We see a contrast. So the statements that were given from chapter 10 all the way up to chapter 22 provide a lot of contrasting statements. The wicked and the righteous, or the foolish and the wise. And we see that pattern particularly in this scripture that we just read together just a moment ago. We see it there as well. So in speaking of the wicked here in this passage, Solomon makes it clear that they bring sorrow and shame to their family. And he says they don't ultimately profit from their activity. They will not be satisfied by by the pursuit of their cravings. And they will experience not only physical poverty, but relational and spiritual poverty as well. It's not a pretty picture. It's not something that any of us should want for our own lives. But that's what Solomon tells us. The wicked can expect. It's the reality of a life that's being lived absent of genuine faith in the Lord. And then then he provides the contrast. And the contrast is this. The righteous, on the other hand, are promised a much different outcome in their life. They bring gladness and honor to their family. They experience spiritual life. They're satisfied by what the Lord grants to them. They're amply supplied materially, relationally, and spiritually. And the contrast between the wicked and the righteous Could not be more stark? But that's what we're shown here in this portion of Scripture, and we see that contrast all throughout this middle section of the book of Proverbs, chapter 10 all the way up to chapter 22. But one of the things that catches my eye in particular about this particular passage is the fact that the Lord promises that he won't let the righteous go hungry. Now, when we read that verse just a few moments ago, and even when I brought it up on the slide behind me here, that the Lord won't let the righteous go hungry, how does that promise hit your ears? How do you hear that? How does that promise hit your ears? How does that assurance strike you, that the Lord won't let the righteous go hungry? Well, let me, let me explain something about righteousness really quickly. Scripture tells us something very specific about righteousness. So, left to ourselves, we are not righteous. I don't know how that makes you feel, I know how that makes me feel. In one sense, that, that at, at one point, that would have bothered me, that statement. Now that I understand what the Lord's up to and what He's doing, I find comfort in how He remedies that. Because Scripture tells us that even though by nature we are not righteous, you're not righteous by nature, and I'm not righteous by nature, Scripture tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we're granted His righteousness as a gift He imputes his righteousness to our account. Do you ever hear that term? It's a theological term that, that basically just describes the fact that Christ takes his righteousness and he gives it to us because our account was deficient. So he imputes it. He adds it. He places it in our account because our account was lacking righteousness. So he doesn't say, come up with your own righteousness. He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness because my righteousness, the Lord says, is better than our what? Self righteousness. Have you ever met somebody who's self righteous? How long did they remain on your close contact list or your friends list? Do you trust them or do you avoid them? Self righteousness is not righteousness. You can pretend that you're righteous, but self righteousness is not righteousness. Biblical righteousness, like is being described here in this portion of scripture, is when the Lord looks at somebody and he says, You don't have righteousness in your account, but if you trust me, That righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, is granted to our account. In Jesus, we're granted his righteousness as a gift. He imputes it to our account because we were deficient and needy. In fact, I like what it tells us. Jump to the slide for me, if you would. Uh, In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, it says this about the righteousness of God. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, and look at this line, it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Meaning, you may have lived the most wicked and debased past, or you may have come from the, the most prestigious background, but there is no distinction, the scripture says, meaning... Whether you have thought you were righteous up to this point or whether you thought you were wicked, the Lord is saying, I offer you my righteousness. The Lord gives the gift of the righteousness of Christ to anyone who believes. That's how it's obtained. That's how a person becomes righteous. Now, I don't have righteousness of my own, but years ago, I came to faith in Jesus Christ and he gave me the gift of his righteousness. And I want to personally testify to something. You know, the Lord says in in Proverbs 10 that he won't let the righteous go hungry. Well, I don't have any righteousness of my own, but he gave me the gift of the righteousness of his son. And as I've trusted in Jesus Christ and received the gift of his righteousness, I can testify to the fact that the Lord has met my every need. The Lord has met my every need. Do you believe the Lord will truly meet your every need? Now, we have wants, but a want is a big difference from a need. Do you believe the Lord will meet your every need? As a child and as an adult, I can testify to the fact that that going through lean seasons, in the midst of those lean seasons, the Lord showed me that he means what he says in his word, that he keeps that promise. I've gone through seasons in my life that could very easily have taken me down that path of worry or that path of fear, moments that felt particularly lean. But one of the things that I'm grateful that the Lord has not allowed to take hold in my heart is a sense of dread or a sense of worry. Because one of the things that he's been showing me over time is, again, that he means what he says in this passage. He's shown me in demonstrable ways that he feeds and meets the needs of those that he calls his own. You're given the gift of the righteousness of Christ. The righteous will not go hungry, he says. The Lord will not let the righteous go hungry. That's his promise to us. And I think it's interesting that Solomon brings that up here in the starter verses of this chapter, because as we're talking about this idea of what does it look like to trust the Lord when we're feeling uneasy, I think one of the things that he's showing us here right off the bat is that the Lord will meet your need. He's not going to let the righteous go hungry. He meets the needs of those he calls his own. And then he goes on from there to tell us some additional things. Now, we're going to jump around in this next section here, not physically. So those of you that weren't looking to get exercise today, i got good news. You can still remain seated. But we're going to jump around in the passage and look at a variety of verses because it's a long section. But I want you to notice a theme with most of the verses in this next section here. We're going to pick up at verse 6, and then we're going to kind of jump around in the passage here. And I want you to notice the things about words or about your lips, or about your mouth, or about talking, or about listening. Things that go along with the line of communication or speaking. Because one of the things that the Lord shows us here is that He uses our our lives in, in very special and amazing ways. And He will give you the right thing to say when you need it. And it's evidence of the fact that he's with you and he's working through you. Look at what it says in verse 6, and then I'm going to jump to verse 8 and some other verses, and I'll tell you where I'm jumping as we go along. But in verse 6, it says this, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Verse 10 says this, Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. Verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. And then jump to verse 17. It says this, "'Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth.'" And then verse 21 tells us the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Notice something that I find very interesting, and maybe you've noticed this as well in going through scriptures. I mean, we just went through a long section here of Proverbs 10, and you see how much the Lord speaks about words and using our mouth and using our lips and using our tongue and listening when others are speaking or babbling because we don't want to listen. And it fascinates me just how important words are to the Lord. You ever notice that when going through Scripture? Words are extremely important to the Lord. You see that as a pattern all throughout the Word of God. But when you think about it, that makes perfect sense. Why does it make perfect sense? Well, when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that when God created this world, He did it a very specific way. Scripture tells us He spoke it into existence. He spoke it into existence. And scripture tells us that he sustains this world by his powerful word. So he spoke creation into existence and he sustains creation by his powerful word. I even think about that in regard to the molecules that make up my body. That if the Lord decided to stop sustaining me, that all of a sudden what happens? I just become like like powder, like mist. He's, He's holding me together. He's holding my life together. He's holding you together. He's holding your very body together. He spoke creation into existence, and he sustains his creation by his powerful word. In fact, I love what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, and it's speaking of Jesus here. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. So Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the whole universe. By the word of his power. Now, the application of how our words are supposed to be used is demonstrated in a variety of ways when we get back to Proverbs chapter 10. Solomon tells us, as he draws these contrasts out, he tells us that the wicked and the unwise, they use their words for destructive purposes. But the righteous use their words to edify and to bless and to honor. And doesn't that make perfect sense? When you think about the fact that our Lord, what does he do? He creates and he sustains with his word. So if Jesus lives within you and you're reflecting his heart, what what can we expect to come forth from your life? Words that build up, words that edify, words that sustain, words that help. But the wicked, how do they use their words? To destroy, to tear down. And so your words and my words are going to reflect what's going on in our heart. And if Christ is Lord of your heart, and if Christ is Lord of my heart, you're going to see that reflected in how we choose to speak and how our words are used. Solomon is elaborating on that. When you look throughout Proverbs chapter 10, these middle verses that we just read, here he, he, you know, he, he talks about the fact that the wicked, they promote violence. They babble instead of listening. They stir up strife. They bring ruin. They lead people astray. It doesn't sound pleasant, does it? They promote hatred they engage in slander. The righteous, they receive instruction. And what do they do with their words? They promote life. They forgive offenses. They share wisdom. They teach knowledge. They restrain themselves from speaking when it would would not be helpful. They restrain themselves from speaking when it would not be helpful. Now, in looking at these examples, what I see is this. I see a picture of the temperament of somebody who's being led by the Holy Spirit versus somebody who's being led by by the cravings of their sinful nature. So if you're being led by the Spirit, you'll you'll use your words one way. You're being led by the cravings of of your sinful nature, you're going to use your words another way. We can build or we can destroy with our words, but a follower of Christ will emulate his example. We'll use our words to make investment in the lives of other people. We'll convey the wisdom and life that's found in his gospel to one another. We'll build one another up in that way. I love what Ephesians 4 verse 29 tells us. It says this, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So think about that. It doesn't say let some or let a little. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I love that statement where it says that our words can give grace to those who hear. Do you have people in your life that just talking to them makes you feel better about just about anything? I have a small list of people in my life that if I'm ever feeling down in the dumps, I like to talk to them, even if I don't tell them that I'm feeling down in the dumps. Just the fact that they, they speak with such grace or they exhibit the heart of Christ, in, in their words, it builds me up and it makes me feel better. And I've mentioned this person before, but there's somebody from my youth that I often think about when it comes to a portion of scripture like this and how important it is to use your words in a valuable way. One of the things you'll notice about our church, those of you that are here for the very first time, um, I'll tell you something about our church that those that have been part of our church family for a long time, they already know. That one of the strengths of our church is that we value and we invest in young people. We try and value and invest in children and teens. They're not an afterthought to us. And so a lot of our programs, a lot of our ministries, and a lot of our events are targeted towards serving them because we believe wholeheartedly in building them up. It's a very difficult, the foundational years of your life, are a very difficult season of life. And uh, all of us can testify to that. All of us have experienced those years and we know how challenging those years certainly can be. And I remember One of the things that I'm so grateful for, for my home church, the church I grew up in, up in northeastern Pennsylvania, was the fact that they were the type of church that also invested in young people. And it became part of the culture of the church. And when it becomes part of the culture of the church, you have people that go out of their way to notice young people and notice their needs. They had a very active Sunday school program and things like that. There was one particular person, and I, and I reference her from time to time, but she occupies a lot of my thinking because she also was someone that taught me a lot of the foundational things that I know about theology. And, um, and there, was, there was a woman in my home church who would always go out of her way to single me out and encourage me. And I believe the Lord was speaking through her to me. Uh, she was an older woman in the church. She taught Sunday school. I was in her class, learned a lot of things from her. And I, was go- I remember at that particular season of my life, I was going through a lot. That was a season in my life where my family, some of you know my family background. Our family seemed very cookie cutter and standard till I was about eight years old. And then at that point, our family just blew up. And it was like conflict and just unsettled feelings and all sorts of things for about, you know, just the rest of my growing up. It was just a very difficult context in many respects. And trying to navigate through life when your household feels so unsettled is very challenging when you're still trying to build a foundation for your own life. And I remember one of the worst seasons of my life growing up when I was about 12 years old. I really, at that point, if I'm honest with you, I didn't even want to be alive. I really didn't want to be alive. I was so sick of everything. I just wished I was dead. And I felt so depressed and I felt so discouraged that I would have been happy if I didn't make it out of that year. That's truly how I felt during that season. And there was somebody in, in my home church at that point Who, and you know, at that point, I'll also say this, I believed in Jesus Christ, but I was trying to live with like one foot in the world and one foot in heaven and trying to figure out what would actually bring peace to my heart. And I was really wrestling with it. And there was, like I said, this older woman in our, in our church, she would single me out. And this is what she would say to me. And I, I think I've got this about 99% right, because she would say it a little differently each time, but it was the same message. She would say, John, I don't know how God's going to use you, but I am convinced that he's going to use your life in some sort of an amazing way. I can't shake the thought. She said she felt like the Lord had revealed that to her. She felt like the Lord had spoken that to her and that she was supposed to speak that to me. And she used to tell me that all the time. She said, I can't shake this feeling that the Lord's going to use you in, in some particular way. I don't know what it is, but I think he's going to do something special. His hand is on your life. And I remember thinking, if she knew what my life was like outside of when I'm on my best behavior in front of everybody in church, I used to think she wouldn't say that. If she really knew me in all contexts, she's just seeing the best version of me, and she's seeing my family while we're all behaving. But the second we leave this place, we go nuts, you know? And uh, I remember thinking to myself, why would she say this? I used to scratch my head all the time. Why does she tell me this so often? And then she used to tell my mother this. She used to tell my mother. She's like, I don't know what it is. I'm telling you, the Lord's going to use your son. He's going to use your son. He's going to do something special through that boy. And I don't know what it is, but he's going to do... And I used to think to myself, what if she's right? Like, what if she's right? That ministered to me so deeply during a season when... And I'm not exaggerating with you just for effect... I really didn't want to be alive anymore at that season. And I would hear her say that, and it would minister to me so deeply. And I thought, wow, I'm just amazed that somebody would care that much about me to actually speak such encouraging and grace-filled, gospel-saturated words directly to my heart. And she would build me up with her words, and she would encourage me. And again, the Lord would regularly speak through her to me And again, she made a point to teach me theology and all sorts of things, made direct investments in my life. And I think to myself, how many times I've had the privilege to speak before congregations or different groups. Those of you that are Karen have had the opportunity to speak at your chapels and the books that I've had the opportunity to communicate in or write. And I think, okay, many of the things that I'm communicating to groups of people are things that I first learned from her. She made an investment in me And now I have the opportunity to really just echo things that were taught to me at a young age to other people. But really, the direct chain goes right back to the investment she made with the words of grace that she spoke into my life, that I have the opportunity to speak to others. And I bring that personal example up from time to time because it's really something that pretty much just stays on my mind. I don't think there'll ever be a time in my life where I stop being appreciative of that. I certainly hope not. But I want to say this just by personal testimony, and I want you to think about this even as you think about what Solomon said about how the wise and righteous use their words. I believe that the Lord will also give you the right things to say, and that he will speak through you from time to time to other people's hearts And if your heart and your tongue and your lips and your words are submitted over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, your life is submitted over to his lordship, his spirit will guide and direct your tongue to say precisely what's needed, when it's needed, to people in ways that I think you will be amazed to see the effect of it. And you may not even know from time to time how your words are impacting other people. But if you speak with the grace of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit is guiding the words that come forth from your mouth, if you speak with wisdom and righteousness like Solomon describes in Proverbs chapter 10, don't be surprised to discover the kind of impact that the Lord makes on other people's lives through using your words as the conduit to communicate his gospel. It's the way he has ordained that his gospel be spread person to person through words, through communication. Words matter to him. He spoke creation into existence. He sustains it by his powerful word, and he speaks through people like you and me. And he communicates the grace of his gospel in that specific way. And Solomon elaborates on this here. But there's something else that he brings up here that I hope will take heart to heart, and that's this. When you're uneasy, when you're thinking that things seem disjointed, disjointed, when you think that things seem like the foundation that's under them is shaky, whatever it may be, when you feel like you're being taken advantage of, when you feel like wickedness prevails, remember this, the Lord will bring wickedness to an abrupt end. Look at what it says in verse 22. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 32. But it says this, we could trust the Lord when we're feeling uneasy because of his promise here. He says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. By the way, in verse 27 where it says the fear of the Lord, you notice that as a pattern all throughout Proverbs? Keeps coming back to encourage us to be people who live in the fear of the Lord. We'll come back to that thought in just a minute, but I want you to notice that there. Verse 27, I'll read it again. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction... To evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Now, we live in an era when many people choose to be brazen and choose to be bold with their rebellion against the Lord. And I realize that's not unique to our era. But it doesn't. But it. But it. um, And it's not uncommon. But it does surprise me to observe it. And I think why it surprises me is because the longer that I've known the Lord, and maybe some of you have the same testimony, the longer that I've known the Lord, the more foreign He's making my heart to rebelling against Him. The longer I've known Him, as He's helping my faith to gradually mature the more foreign the idea of rebelling against him becomes to me. It it, it develops a distaste. It's something that I don't want to do. I don't want to rebel against the Lord. But at an earlier season, it was much easier for me to rebel against him. And as my faith continues to grow, I'm finding that I don't have the same desire to rebel against him. Maybe you could testify to that same maturity of faith that you've been experiencing over the years. And I'll even say this. One of the things that I've been praying for myself And one of the things that I've been praying for my household is that we would, like it says in this portion of scripture, that we would live in the fear of the Lord, that we would learn to revere and respect him and love him so much that we won't attempt to take our lives in a direction that's marked by disobedience to him. That's what it means to truly fear the Lord, that you revere the Lord, that you respect him and that you love him so much that you really don't want to take your life in a direction of disobedience toward him. But the only reason that's a priority in my life, the only reason I even care about that at all, is because Jesus Christ has gripped my heart. Naturally speaking, that is not something I would have cared about. But now that I do know Him, now that I do value Him, now that I do find my joy through Him, my perspective toward what contributes to a good life is drastically different from what it once was. Let me bring you right back to that season of life that I was describing a few moments ago when I was 12 You know what my room looked like when I was 12 years old? Maybe some of you can identify with this. There's one person in this room who knew me when I was 12 years old. You know, Frank knew me when I was 12 years old. Uh, When I was 12 years old, um, and I kid you not, if you walked into my room, you would not have seen a lick of paint on the walls because my walls were covered in posters right up against each other. You know, one poster to another poster to another poster, and it was all my favorite rock heroes. So this is in the eighties, right? This is the second half of the nineteen eighties. So picture which bands were popular in the nineteen eighties. They all had hair that was teased out straight to the clouds. You know, everybody had a leather leather coat on, everybody was trying to look real tough, right? You know, or they're holding their guitar up there, whatever it may be. My whole room, every inch of wall was covered. And I remember it went from a few posters to a few more, to a few more, so I remember, you know, from time to time my mom would walk in and she'd just look at the room and she'd be like, why? Like, why? It's like, hey, I'm, it's like a form of interior decorating, right? You know, I've decorated this room. But these guys were my heroes. And I would look at them and I would think, these are guys that have it all figured out. They've got life all figured out. You know, they're, they're, they've got all this fame. They've got all this money. They've got everything that this world can offer. And it's being just dumped right in front of them. And whatever they want to do, they do it and they don't care about rules, and they don't care about structure, and they just go and do whatever they feel like doing, and they're having a blast, and life looks like it's a party, and you would see these guys, and I thought, man, I really admire them, and they were my heroes, and I wanted to be just like them, and I grew my hair out to look just like theirs. I kid you not. I got over that, all right, and I would dress just like them, and I remember at one point, I asked my mom, I was like, hey mom, can I rip up my jeans to look like these guys? She's like, no, we just bought you those jeans, And so I ripped him up anyway and then tried to convince her. I can't believe I'm, I'll confess this to you guys, but I tried to convince her that I fell on a broken aquarium on my way home from school. There was a an aquarium on my way home from school that was smashed there. That part was real. And I was like, yeah, I fell on it. It just happened to rip my jeans where I wanted it to rip my jeans. And she looked at me and she's like, Really? Like how dumb do you think I am? That it's like where are the cuts on your legs? It's like amazingly, it only cut the fabric. It only cut the fabric. She's like you. She was not happy with me in that moment, right? But they were my heroes. Well, have you ever seen what has happened to these people since then? So that's, you know, what, what, what's that? 32 years, right? I'm 44 years old now, and I'm talking about my heroes when I was 12. Well, what's happened in their life over the past 32 years? These were the people that I idolized and I emulated. I wanted to dress like them and talk like them and look like them. I always had their music in my ears. Their influence was the, like, guiding that season of my life. I wonder why I was so depressed, right? But you look at what's happened over the course of their life. I would not trade my life for their life in a second. wouldn't trade it for a second. Because it's a life of regret and sadness and, in many respects, early death. And you look at that and you think, okay, that's not appealing. It looked appealing to me at one point, but it's not appealing to me now. Anyone familiar with the band Motley Crue? You didn't know we were going to re- Our closing song today, by the way, ironically, no, is not by Motley Crue. <laughs> Some of you that are new, they're like, wait, what? What kind of church is this? It's like, it's very different, very different. Um, <laughs> The lead singer of Motley Crue was a man named Vince Neil, you know, a real showman, right? And I remember around the time their second album came out. They were one of the biggest bands in the world. They're making millions and millions of dollars, and I'm trying to look like them and listen to them and dress like them and talk like them and be cool like them. It didn't work for me, but it seemed to be working for them, but I thought maybe if I just tried it long enough, it would work. Never worked. But anyway, at that point, you would think they're on the top of the world, and they were, you know... I mean, they're, they're doing drugs all the time, they're drinking all the time, they're getting high, you know, they're, they're doing all this stuff and communicating this party lifestyle that everybody thinks, man, that just must be amazing. They seem to have a lot of fun. Well, one particular night, Vince Neil, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this story already, but Vince Neil decided to get into a car with the uh, person that was in another band and Vince Neil was driving and the two of them were drinking and they were high. And Vince was driving. They were just going down to the liquor store to get a little bit more because they ran out. And on their way, I think it was back from the liquor store, Vince took his sports car and he just, he just like jacked it up to a very high speed and he wrecked it and the other guy died. And I saw an interview with uh, Vince Neil a few years ago where he talked about that moment. And he said, I'm just going to shoot straight with everybody. He's like, I'm not in jail. Why am I not in jail? You know, I drove a car. And ended up killing this guy because I was high. So I did that. Why am I not in jail? And he said, here, I'll tell you why I'm not in jail. Money. That's the only reason I'm not in jail. Money. And he said, what I had to do was this. The profit from our next album, I had to give to that man's family in exchange for me staying out of jail. So I got to stay jail free. I gave all the money from that next album to that family. And now for all these decades, I get to live with this on my conscience that I took my life in that direction, and that was the result. And here's the sad thing. He still hasn't come to a spot where he's recognized what's missing. He's still trying to find something to fill that void in his heart with the things of this world. And what happens? Well, Solomon described it here for us in this passage. Wickedness comes to an abrupt end. You're not helped, and I'm not helped by it. The promises of this world that we think we will obtain... Through wickedness, through rebellion against the Lord, through living outside of faith in Jesus Christ, eventually the game is over. The game ends. And Christ wants more for us than just coming to the abrupt end of wickedness. In fact, that's why he offers himself to us. Maybe you have, maybe even something I just said there is very similar to something you've experienced in your past. Maybe you have some dark things there. I don't know. But I'm telling you, whatever it is, you can confess it to Christ. You can give it over to him. He will completely cleanse you from it. He will make you a new person. And he will usher you into a future that is glorious. You don't have to come to him with righteousness. You can come to him with your wickedness. And he'll take your wickedness, forgive it, and give you his righteousness. And he'll look at you and he'll say, you are not who you once were. You are a new creation in my kingdom. You are part of my family, and I'm not ashamed to know you. And I'm glad that you're here, and you're part of my family forever. That's his promise to us, that he wipes the slate clean and then calls us righteous. Now, we know we didn't deserve to be called that, but he does it anyway. And he says it had nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. It had everything to do with what Christ did on the cross for us. And he took our sin upon himself so he could give us the gift of his righteousness. He wants more for us than just the abrupt end that wickedness comes to. He wants us to experience the confidence, the confident hope that that he has assured us that he will meet our needs, that he will speak through us, and that his righteousness will ultimately reign upon this earth and that his righteousness will reign in our lives. He offers that to you and he offers that to me. And it's not a joke. It's a real thing. It's a real gift. And many people in this world live their lives rejecting it and then eventually come to that abrupt end without ever accepting the gift that's been open to them the entire time. But there are some that say, I need that gift. I need the righteousness of Christ. And they rejoice in it and receive it by faith in Him. Apart from Christ's intervention in your life and in my life, we were lost. But now that He's drawn us unto Himself... He shows us that we can live with confident faith in Him. So if you've been feeling uneasy, for good reasons or for no good reason, remember the example that we're given here in the book of Proverbs in chapter 10. Remember that we can trust the Lord in any moment, in any season. He doesn't let the righteous go hungry. He speaks through people who at one point lived at a distance from Him, but then you live close to Him, and He speaks through you and does amazing things through your life. And he brings wickedness to an abrupt end, but gives you hope in righteousness that's beyond any given moment. Proverbs 10 assures us of that, and we have the opportunity to believe that. Let's do so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today and to think about the things that you've revealed to us in it. Lord, we know that when we look at a portion of scripture like this, there's a lot of things that we wrestle with. There's a lot of things that we think about. And Lord, we want ultimately to know you and to have a heart that is at peace because of you. Lord, if we're looking for worldly sources to somehow supply the peace that we're craving, we pray that you would change our perspective. We pray that we would see this all differently. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see that you're our only hope and that it's through you that we experience life and it's through you we experience joy it's through you that, that we find ourselves not in the slump that we were in, but rescued out of that and on a new path, going in a new direction because of what you've accomplished for us. So, Lord, thank you for these reminders from your word today. We're grateful to be able to start off our week this way, thinking about these things. And, Lord, we're grateful that you demonstrate your love to us, that you bless us with your grace, and that you give us the opportunity to reflect you like a mirror, that we can reflect your grace, the grace you've invested in our lives, that we could invest that in the lives of other people. Thank you for those who have taken the time to do that for us, and by your grace, we pray that we would do that for others as well. We're just grateful to be able to start off our week with these reminders from your word, and we commit ourselves to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.